as I've grown older, I have found my heart desiring to live within God's will more and more. I've been become more and more sensitive to practically living day in and day out with God's will at the forefront of my mind in everything that I do. The sad thing about my growing heart's desire is that I wish I had had it as a young man. I wish I would have had it as a young man. It would have helped me so much. I made so many choices about buying vehicles, starting hobbies, going to school and such, and and many, many more things, and and many of them caused me much anxiety as I was going through them. Uh, I, I just made poor decisions because I wasn't looking at it from God's will, from God's point of view. By God's grace, none of those choices cause severe life-changing issues, and that is a tremendous benefit. God had much grace in my life. Uh, I should not be where I'm at. He uh, just protected me in places, times when I sh- he could have just turned his back on me and said, go ahead, have at it, and he did not do it. But if I had had a more tender heart for God's will, I would have been a better witness for Christ, a godlier husband and father, and I've I'm sure that my ministry would have uh, benefited from a better heart's desire for God's will. But even with a more tender heart towards God's will, I found it is easy to fall back into making plans without even thinking about God's will. You're just, something's coming up, and I got to change this, and I got to do this, and uh, we don't use day planners anymore, but we use iPhones and Androids and stuff, and, and we say, okay, we have all of our days planned out, we have all of our time planned out, and we just go through the, I mean, we just pushing forward. And we find out that all that pushing forward is done in a way that doesn't really take God into consideration at all. I think we would all agree life is busy and life is distracting. Life often keeps our eyes focused on things of the earth without a consideration for God's will. It's kind of normal for many of us. As we continue our series in James, we're going to see that James is going to warn his dispersed flock about presumptuous planning and boastful ambition. What do I mean by presumptuous planning? We fail to observe God's limits of what is permitted or appropriate in the planning of our lives. We just plan and we don't ask, is this within the box that God has set for me? Is this the priority that should be in my life at this time? Should I, uh, have I given this over to him every day, my plan to say, God, you change it as you see fit? And so we become presumptuous in our planning. We just think automatically that what we're doing is what God wants us to do. That's how we live. We just plan. We just move forward. And we really never consciously ask, Where does God fit into this? Where does God's will fit into this? James is going to clearly help us see that a heart's desire to know and do God's will, instead of presuming what we see, is the right and proper mark of a genuine Christ follower. The Bible lays out many characteristics Christ followers will find growing in their lives. Characteristics such as a love for God, repentance from sin, humility, a desire to bring God glory, prayer, love for others, separation from the word, growth, and obedience. That's characteristics of who we are. But I believe the desire to live out the will of God in in a person's life, the desire to live out the will of God in one's life kind of encapsulates all of those. It sets the tone for all of those because who are you focused on 
as you're making plans and decisions. God and what he wants and the attitudes that he wants. And this is portrayed throughout the Bible. Psalm 48, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. How much does the psalmist want to do God's will? Psalm 143, 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me to do what? He's writing a song about this. Lord, I want you to teach me your will. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with with the same way of thinking. We need to think like Christ. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but what? For the will of God. We live for whose will? Christ's will, God's will. We live for His will. We don't live for our own kingdoms. We don't live for our plans. We don't live for our careers. We don't live for our retirements or our bank accounts. We live for His will. Every breath we take, we live for His will. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from where? He's saying, servants, Those who had no control over their lives. You live your life with God's will in mind and you obey God's will. You want God's will in your life so much so that you're doing it from the heart. It is a heart's desire. This is not something we can cultivate in our lives and just make, I mean, that helps and make decisions. But where does the motivation come from? From here, from our heart. It's it's an indicator, it's an assurance that we really truly do have Jesus Christ as our Savior. If this is not a motivation of our heart, if a desire for God's will is not a motivation from our heart, we need to ask the reason, we need to ask why. Why is our will? Why are our plans? Why is what we want to do more important than living for God's will? Jesus Christ is our mentor in what it means to live a life that has its, at its core a desire to live out God's will. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, Now, who's this? Who's speaking? Who is Jesus? God where? In the flesh, correct? He's praying to his Father. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Think about who's saying that. He said, it is my food. It's my sustenance. It's my nourishment. When you get hungry, you start thinking about food, right? And the hungrier you get, how much more do you think about food? And the more that you get hungry, you start thinking more about what? Food. Before long, all you're doing is doing what? Thinking about food. And you are looking for the very next Chick-fil-A. Because I am only thinking about food, I am that hungry. How many of you desire God's will like that? It's my food, it's my sustenance, it's my nourishment to live out God's will. Jesus again in John chapter 6. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And through his whole life, Jesus Christ lived out that will of God. 
perfectly. Now, we won't. We still deal with a sinful flesh. But if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, who is motivating us to be like that? The Holy Spirit is. And if we are not like that, if we do not find that growing, if we find out that we can not desire God's will for more and more and and longer and longer time periods, there's an issue, there's a problem. Because the longer you go without desiring God's will, the hungrier you should get for it. We will also see, as we look at what James writes, that this is another test of genuine saving faith. If a man, woman, or child's life displays a constant disregard or lack of interest in God's will, it is a certain mark of the presence of pride because they have put themselves in God's seat. What I want to do, what my will is, takes precedence over anything that God wants me to do. I sit on the throne of my life. If you are a Christ follower with the Holy Spirit living within you, you can't live like that. You cannot live like that. A heart that has no interest in God's will is a heart that believes I am the sovereign ruler of my own life. And that kind of heart has no assurance of salvation. James has already been clear. God is very opposed to this kind of pride. We've already looked at this, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those of us who will humble ourselves to God's will, who desires God's will, who, who uh, want to feed on the Scripture so we know God's will, God gives grace and more and more grace to us. But if we put ourselves on the throne, we are in direct opposition to God. We need to come to grips with that. If we're not concerned about God's will in our life, we are in direct opposition to God. And that is going to severely impact our lives and how we walk. Stand with me as we read James chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. You'll find that on page 1290 of your pew Bible. And I pray that everybody would, as we go through this today, that you would keep your Bibles open. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the guidance that it gives us. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives us when we know that out of love and out of care for us, you have showed us what we are and who we are and how to improve our walk with you. We praise your name for your word. Father, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it steps on our toes. Sometimes it sets us back in our place because we have a tendency to live out of prideful flesh. Father, I pray today that we would see this as encouraging and as a way for us to grow in you. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. As we move on, you can, I want you to remember that James is writing to his dispersed flock. 
And it seems as if he has heard they are moving in a really, really dangerous direction in their new lives. Remember, they're not living in Jerusalem anymore. They are dispersed throughout pagan cities throughout the region. We need to understand some culture here that kind of helps us understand why things are happening, why James would have to address this. Many, if not most of the dispersed Jews, would have been culturally involved in agriculture as a life. That was part of life in Jerusalem. Most of the people living in and around Jerusalem were farmers involved in agriculture. And the reason for that is because when God brought Israel into the land, what did He do? He gave each tribe a set of land, and then each tribe parceled out those pieces of land to the people. Is land very, very valuable? Absolutely. And when God brought them into Israel and and God uh, spread them out and told them where they were to live and to give them a very valuable piece of property, what would most of those Jews have automatically gone into? Agriculture, because you're using the land that God gave you. That was the, the norm in Jerusalem. They would have been very dependent on God. They would have been very dependent on knowing what God's will is. Because as a farmer, what are you dependent on God to do? Rain, sun, good seed, right? All kinds of things. You were dependent. You couldn't help but live in dependence of God's will. You couldn't help but want God's will to be happening in your life. It was kind of a natural thing. They depended on God for the land to grow their crops on because they had been, because they had been given it, the crops or the land by God. However, they were now dispersed away from their homeland. They would not have had easy access to land for crops because they were very, very poor. They, they didn't have money. They couldn't purchase land. You see, land is usually bought to maintain wealth. Land is not usually bought to build wealth, especially back in the first century. It was a sign of maintaining wealth. And so what they had to do is they had to move culturally into doing business, becoming merchants, becoming businessmen and businesswomen, because they didn't, couldn't do anything else. They had to find a way to support themselves. And like a lot of people, if you have to change careers, and as you grow and as you get better in your careers, could you and could many of them become very wealthy and could many of them develop a very good living by becoming merchants and businessmen? Yeah, because most of the cities they were in were large metropolitan cities, and that was just a way of life. It would have been easy for them to move away from depending on God so much because who built the business? I did. They didn't depend on God for rain and sunshine and seed. They, I built this. I found the new client. I did the hiring. I invested well in this or that. It, was very, it would be very easy for them to what? Lose that dependence on God in their planning, in their daily lives, to lose that dependence on God and the, lose the, uh, the ability for the, or lose the desire to seek God's will. They became so busy that they were just doing their thing. They were making presumptuous planning, just saying, this is what we need to do. This is what the world says we need to do. 
James was concerned they were beginning to lose their dependency on God and therefore lose the desire to find out what God's will was. I want you to notice how James knew they were looking in that, moving in that direction. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make profit. He says, you who say. How did James find this out? He had heard about it. You who say, their speech, and man, this brings us all the way back to what we've already talked about, the speech and the tongue. Their speech, what they said revealed what their hearts were. Their speech told James, this is what their heart was. Their hearts revealed they were depending on their own efforts and their business dealings, not on God. And James, again, is reminding us that our speech, how we talk, exposes our heart attitudes. He has spent a lot of time helping us see that in his letter, and he's coming back to it when he says, you say, you who say. And there are three presumptions, three presumptions being made by those James is writing to. And these presumptions are ones that we often fall into when God's will is not in the forefront of our mind. And this is just kind of a quick uh, outline of, of verse 13. They presume that they would live as long as they please. Look at what it says. Oh, come now, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there. What was the presumption there? They're going to live. They're going to live for another year. Okay? They presume they would make whatever plans they please. We can go today or tomorrow. The choice is ours. They presume that they had the capacity to execute whatever plan they concede. We declare that we will make a profit. Look at that. Verse 13, uh, we will go to, into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and what? Make a profit. Was there any doubt in that statement what they were planning on doing? They expected what? To make a profit. They expected it. They expected that all the plans that they laid, uh, laid out, going to the towns, all, they expected. This was something that they expected. Is there any indication here at all that God's involved in any of these plans? Absolutely not. There's none. And James was worried about that. We also, these statements are on the surface really don't seem that bad, do they? Because how often do we do things like this? It's not that bad. You know, they're being good businessmen and good women, good businesswomen. They're supposed to plan like that. They're supposed to do that. But the Greek helps us understand this a little bit better. The, the phrase, you who say... The ones who are saying this, it is written in a way that shows it was a habitual habit. It could be actually put this way. Those who continually say, what was their life habit? I'm going to have this attitude. I'm going to make my plans. Say, okay, the word in the Greek for say, uh, it's based, it has the idea of logic or reason. You who say, you who have come to a logical conclusion, your own logic your own understanding of life, you who continuously do this, you are saying, based on what you perceive, based on your logic, based on what you see life as being, the ones who are saying are making plans as if God never existed. They were just doing business. How about you? How many of your day-in, day-out plans are made without even a thought about God's will in those plans? You get up and you say, this is what I'm going to do today. 
and God is so far in the background. God might have a part of that plan. Oh, I got to do my Bible reading this morning. And once I do the Bible reading, it's what? Check box, here I go, on to the next thing. And God's will, what God wants, how God wants you to do your dealings in your business or in your school or whatever, where, where's it at? It's not even in your mind anywhere at all. It's so easy just to get in the mode of just making plans at work or at home, in the hobbies, about vacations, about spending money. We could go on and on, on and on and on, and not have God's will even being a consideration in your life. And man, when I was studying it this week, I said, can we just skip to chapter 5? I had, I had to look in the mirror because Mark is busy. If you pull up my calendar, all you see is a rainbow of colors. And you want to know something? As I was studying this, I went, you know, how much of my day, or what at any time in the day, do I really just give my plan to God and say, Lord God, what do you want me to do today? Here's my plan. Here's what I think I should do. Here's what needs to be done. And, uh, but Lord God, I really want your will here. You see, when we don't come to that point, Who's the king and sovereign of our hearts, of our, of, our, of our lives? We are. We don't even consider what God wants. Presumptuous planning. Planning without God's will in mind forgets three things. It forgets three things. Presumptuous planning forgets three things. First, it ignores our ignorance. It ignores our ignorance. Look at verse 14, the first part of verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. How many of you know for sure what tomorrow will bring? How many of you already have the next four days planned out? Mm. How many of you have more than four days planned out? But you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You have no clue. Who's the only one who knows what tomorrow brings? God. We think we can plan a year in advance, come and go as we please, but we do not even know what the next 12 hours will bring. Jesus himself taught how foolish it was to make so many plans about the future without considering that the future is unknown. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. And he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, uh, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know what's being said there? Did that rich man have any desire whatsoever to do God's will? He sat there and he put all this stuff away. He uh, stored up his things. He had his retirement account. That's basically what he's talking about, right? 
His crops had produced plenty, and the only person he thought about was his plans, his retirement, what he was going to do. Did he think about anybody else, anybody else in need? Did he think about how he could help other people? Did any of that cross his mind? No. And God said, you fool. You see, he didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but God did. We see the same caution in Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. You do not know. Does it say you may not know? No, it says you don't know. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. Life is complex. It is confusing. A mix of forces, events, people, and circumstances that we have little, if any, control over. Despite that, we often live as if we are the masters of our own universe because we rarely slow down or stop to go uh, to the one who controls everything. We rarely stop and pause and spend time seeking God's will, looking at God's word for God's will, making sure that we see God's word. And it says, when you work and when you are and I'm blessing you, and I'm being gracious towards you, and I'm prospering you, are you really thinking about others? Are you thinking about people in the community who need help? Are you thinking about how uh, you can be a benefit to a child who doesn't have a mom or dad, and maybe you'll pay their college tuition? Are any of those things ever entering your mind about how can I do something besides arrange my life and my finances, and my retirement around what I want to do. And this is, this is hard for us. We don't slow down or stop or go to the one who controls everything to seek his will through study of his word and through prayer. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the comfort of knowing that, uh, that a sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent God of the universe controls every event and circumstance in our lives. And He weaves them all into His perfect plan for each of us, all designed to bring Him glory. And because of that, because we have that comfort, because we understand that's who God is, we must do this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many of us can quote this from, heart, from the heart, but many of us don't live it, even though we know it and have memorized it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. What does that mean about your plans? Do not lean on your own plans. Do not lean on your own understanding of what life is and how life works. In all your ways, does that include the planning of day in and day out lives? In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You won't make your path straight because you are so good at being a, a, a businessman or a businesswoman. You won't have any control over your path at all because God is sovereign. But he says the one who is sovereign, the one who does control that straight path, acknowledge him first. Don't lean on your own understanding. Presumptuous planning also forgets our frailty. It forgets our frailty. We see that in the last part of James chapter 4, verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He goes, you want to know something? And I'm going to say it to all of you. I don't care where you sit on the spectrum 
of being successful or not successful or being smart or not being smart. I don't care where you sit on the, on the, on the spectrum. God says your life is inconsequential. Period. It is nothing more than a mist. Comes on and passes off the scene. It's inconsequential. Your plans in life are inconsequential unless they are looking towards whose will? God's. Let that settle. So often we think that we are men and women and children and people of consequence because we have this and we have this and we keep our yards like this and we keep our jobs like this and, and, and we are in control of all of this. And God is looking at us and say, your life is inconsequential without me, period. That burns, doesn't it? That burns. It's a truth repeated many times in the Bible. Listen to this. My days are swift, Job is talking, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. How fast was a weaver's shuttle going back and forth over those rugs? If you've ever watched somebody do that, their hands, it, it's, it's lightning fast. It's lightning fast. Job continues in verse 8, For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow Job 14, 1 and 2. Man who is born of a woman is few in days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like the shadow and continues not. You think God in His Word is trying to get us to understand something about our lives? How many times do we actually think of our lives as being nothing more than a mist or a shadow? And we put so much into our planning and so much into our careers, so much into, our, into uh, working our lives to our will, and we do all of that. And we wake up maybe one day like the guy, the rich fool, and we have all these plans, and God says, today's the day. And every plan we made, all the money we saved, all the retirement accounts we have, everything that we've built by our planning, the business that we have or the career that we have is gone in an instant and somebody else is going to enjoy it. James is saying, I don't want you, my dispersed flock. I don't want anybody who reads after my dispersed flock reads this to ever forget that when we make plans, when we, plan, when we look at our lives, don't be presumptuous in your planning because you really don't control that. Don't get prideful and think that this is what I'm going to do. And so with, when we start humbling ourselves with these words, then we come to a place where we say, Lord God, my life really is insignificant unless it's with you. My life is really insignificant. It has no eternal value unless your will is involved in it. And Lord God, I pray that today my heart, my plans, my life is aligned with your will. And if it's not, you have, please, change it all. Change it all. It's not just Job that talks about this. 
Psalm 102.11, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, 15 through 16, as for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. Over and over and over in the word of God, we see that your life and my life is inconsequential unless we are looking to live it in God's will with the help of the Holy Spirit. Without God in the picture, we accomplish what we accomplish is nothing more than a vapor. Without God and His eternal will in the picture, there is no lasting eternal worth of our careers, of our hobbies, or our parenting, or our keeping clean our houses, or our vacations. You can finish the list. Without God and His eternal will in the picture, everything we build, everything that we do and accomplish is nothing but a vapor in light of eternity. If we want our lives to have eternal meaning, then we must have God's will at the forefront of our minds. Whatever choices we make, they must be done, as we will see, with a heart that wants our choices to align with Him for His glory and for His honor. Because outside of that, anything we accomplish or build it is inconsequential. We also see that presumptuous planning leads to arrogant boasting. It leads to arrogant boasting. Look at verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. How clear is he being <laughs> about this whole situation? He says, you are arrogant, and you are boasting because you think you control, because you're making presumptuous plans that you, without the knowledge of God. When we ignore our ignorance and forget how frail we are, then we begin to believe that we have what we have accomplished is because of us and not because of God. We believe that what we own because of our hard work and how we are perceived by the world around us because of our abilities and the retirement that we have built up has nothing to do with God and His will, but because of our abilities, our plans, and our choices. When that happens, we steal the honor and glory due to God and we give it to us. And James says that all such boasting is evil. And I want you to think about that. When he says all such boasting, all these presumptuous plans that these businessmen and businesswomen are doing, what does it mean when he says it's evil? I'm going to sum it up in four words. It all belongs to Satan. That's what it means. It all belongs to Satan. Presumptuous planning, presumptuous boasting in our ability never glorify God because God never entered your mind during the planning process. And so all it does is further Satan's agenda. Mm. So how do we change this? How do we change this? James tells us in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live it and do this or that. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? But there is so much more there than just being easy, because where does our hearts have to be before we really can say that honestly? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
We should always acknowledge all of our plans, hopes, and dreams rest in and are determined by God's will. And Solomon has such insight into what James is saying here. We see it in the Old Testament. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man. How many of you relate to that? Okay. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. If you don't commit your work to the Lord, what is the reverse of that? Your plans will not be established. They won't be. Commit your work to the Lord. Commit your plans. Commit what you do every single day to the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord every morning, in, at lunchtime, in the evening. Lord God, I want your will. Help me keep your will in mind because that's the only way my day is going to be worth anything. That's the only way my day is going to be worth anything. Proverbs 16:9. the heart of a man plans his way but the Lord establishes His steps. Ooh. Do you establish your steps? Do your plans establish your steps? No. Who ultimately has a say of what your day tomorrow is going to be like? God. And when you get frustrated because that plan changes, when you get frustrated because your day does not lay out the way you thought, and you get mad, and you get mad at other people, you get mad at that... Uh, at the insurance agent who, who's just taking too much of your time and you're not getting your, your insurance payment back from your car wreck in time and I was supposed to have a meeting and he changed it for the third time and all this stuff and you start getting anxious and everything like that. Why are you anxious? Because it went against your plan. But whose plan was it? God's. And so when you get anxious and angry because your plans change, who are you getting anxious and angry at? God, not the situation. Not the situation. Every plan we make, every choice we make, needs to be made with the will of God in mind. Throughout the day, there must be a sense that we are God's ambassadors in every part of our lives, including our plans, our hopes, and desires, are subservient to God's will. And I believe most of us here understand what James is saying. Many, if not most of us, grew up in homes where there was an authority figure, usually mom or dad. And I know it was this way in my life. And when I was growing up, who ruled the house? Leroy Hardenbrook. Every plan I made, as I started getting up into those times when I could make and start having a little bit of planning time, what was always in the back of my mind? Somebody would say, hey, you want to go out for pizza tonight? And I said, yes, I want to go out to pizza as soon as I talk to mom and dad. Because who had to say whether I was going to go get pizza or not? Mom and dad. True? And any time I tried to circumvent that, how well did it work out for me? It never worked out. I'm just going to tell you right now, it never worked out for me. And we know that. We experienced that. We understand the decisions we made when we were that age and when we were under our parents' authority all had to go through whom first? Mom and dad. Their will ruled the roost. Mine did not. And we have to understand that in much of the same way, on an infinite level, that's the way it works with God. Our plans are brought before God and saying, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm planning with my life, this is what I'm planning on my vacation, this is what I'm planning on doing, and all that. Kind of, how does this fit into God's Word and God's plan for my life? 
Because if we don't do that, then just like it never worked well with me, it's not going to work well with you either. It's not going to work well with you either. And even when I wasn't rebellious, and sometimes we just get busy, don't we? We're not trying to be rebellious. We're not trying to place ourselves in the seat of, of our lives as the ruler. But even when I got busy and focused on what I needed to do and just forgot that I needed to find out what their will was when I was just doing it, even when I forgot, did it go well with me? They would look at me and say, what should you have done? And what was their point? I don't care if you forgot. I don't care if you got busy. What were you to do before you made that choice? Now, sometimes they were a little bit more lenient there, especially if it was a first-time thing and I was learning and growing up. But man, if I knew better and I just got busy and just kind of ignored it, it still never worked well. The same is with us and God. Sometimes we just get busy. We know that we need to live under God's will and we need to know, we know that we need to search it out. And we need to know that all the decisions we make are aligned with His will, which is revealed in His word. And sometimes we just get so busy that we lay it aside. And who's still going to be held responsible for that? Who is still making presumptuous planning? We are. We are. Again, we see in James, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. When I make a plan, that needs to be my heart attitude. That needs to be at the front of my mind. If the Lord wills, I will do this. It's not a magic incantation. It's not something that we, uh, like when we go to sleep at night, now I lay me down to sleep. Okay, and we, we go right through that. Do we really, are we really even thinking about what we're talking about then? We sit down at the table and we say, hey, Lord, thank you for all the food here. Thank you for a great day. And, you know, amen. And then everybody does what? Digs in. That's not what this is. This is a heart's desire. If the Lord wills. And if the Lord wills, a lot of times with my, with my parents, I would always look at my friends or the people who were asking me to do something, and I would, it would just came out of my mouth. If mom and dad says it's okay, did they tell me to say that? Did they instruct me to say that? No, I just knew it was true. It was something that was on my lips every time I had to make a decision that, like that. Are we being that same way with God's will in our lives? If the Lord wills, I will live today like today. If the Lord wills, I will go on vacation and do all my plans. If the Lord wills, that should just come out of ourselves, out of our hearts, and then out of our mouths because it's how we live and that's how we feel and that's how humble we think of ourselves. We understand that it is His will. So I want you to understand that planning is still wise. We're not going to spend much time here, but this is not saying that we don't plan. We just sit back and go, well, it's God's will, whatever happens today, you know. No, planning is still wise. We understand that uh, David, uh, okay, so David, when he was in the beginning of his reign, we don't have time to look back at it, but David, in the beginning of his reign, uh, wanted to build a temple for God. He wanted to build a temple. 
And David was a godly man. In fact, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And so we know David wanted to do this. It was part of his, he wanted to honor God and build a temple. That was his plan. And God sent a prophet to him and said, that's not my plan. You're a king of blood. You had all these wars coming into the land and building this kingdom. I, you are not going to build my temple. It wasn't God's plan. Even though it was a good plan in David's heart. Was David's heart in the right place? Absolutely. And God said, no. He says, but your son will build this temple. And we know what happened. David planned for that. David said, okay, Lord, I know what your will is. I can't build it, but I'm going to set Solomon up to build this really, really, really cool temple. And he set things aside. He sent finances aside. He sent materials aside. He planned for Solomon to build the temple. He planned. He was wise. He didn't sit back in the chair and go, well, fine. God said I couldn't build it, so Solomon, take care of it. He said, nope. I submit to God's will. I understand what God wants. I know what I can do to help in this situation. And so I'm going to help my son build a tremendous temple. Planning is wise. But it's planning with who in mind? God's will in mind. Paul made trip, uh, plans to go to Jerusalem. That was his plan. His companions didn't want him to. They're going to kill you. And Paul said, still made the plans, and he said, the Lord's will be done. Paul said, hey, I'm planning on going to Jerusalem. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the Lord's will be done in this trip, in this planning. Did Paul have to plan for that trip? Absolutely. Planning is wise, but it's presumptuous when we're not focused on God's will. So submitting to God's will doesn't mean we don't plan. We just always keep Him in mind. So what does proper planning look like? What does humble planning look like? First, dedicate your plans to God. When you make a plan, whether it's for tomorrow, whether it's for a vacation, whether it's for buying a house, whatever it is, when you make a plan, you dedicate that plan to God. You say, Lord God, I know you're in control of this. Lord God, I want to bring you the most glory. And if this plan that I have will not bring you the most glory, then you change it to where it will bring you the most glory. Is that a conscious effort there? Is that a, conf conf a conscious remembering and humbling ourselves before the will of God? Yes. Then you confess that they, your plans, need God's favor. Lord God, I want your will, and I understand that it needs your favor. It needs your okay. Again, this takes effort. It makes us slow down and do what? I mean, if you go back and, and you look at this, dedicate your plan to God. <clears throat> Confess that they need God's uh, favor. Does this take time? Does it mean that you have to stop your plan to check it out with God? Yep, it does. It takes some reflection. A lot of times, will this help us not make wrong decisions if we pause and 
do this? Absolutely. And then we give honor where honor is due. We give honor where honor is due. When God allows your plans to achieve the goals you desired, who gets the glory? You or God? Do you take pride when somebody sees what you've accomplished? Do you say, look at what I built? Look at what I've accomplished? Or do you say, look at what God has accomplished through me? Look at what God has accomplished through me. There's a big difference there. Who's getting the glory there? God is. There is nothing you have. There is nothing you've done. There is no account that you have. There is no schooling that you have that God did not give to you. There is no thinking that you've ever done. There's no intellectual capacity that you have that God has not given you. There is no reason for any of us to ever boast of our accomplishments because none of those accomplishments would have happened without God. It doesn't mean we can't be proud of what we've done. Is it okay to be proud of what we've done? I am proud that God used me as a tool to raise three kids who are walking with Christ right now. And I Kathy and I praise God for that all the time because I'm going to tell you something. It was in spite of Mark Hardenbrook. I was not always a good dad. But that accomplishment, my kids walking with Christ, my kids being successful as far as the world is looking at it, okay, I did not accomplish that. God accomplished that through me. And he gets the glory and he gets the honor that my kids are walking with the Lord right now. But he, and he gets the praise that he used me as a tool to do it. And so James closes this section of his letter in verse 17. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So what we're going to call this is a concluding, a concluding proverb. A concluding proverb. On the surface, James' proverb rebukes the sin of omission. On the surface, it rebukes the sin of omission. If you were in my Sunday school class today, you know what a sin of omission is. If you weren't, uh, you're just out of luck. No, not really. A sin of omission is a sin that you, we know that God wants us to look to His will before we plan. Amen? We know that's what God wants us to do. When we choose not to do it, we are sinning a sin of omission. We're not doing something that God has asked us to do. And on the surface, that's what this seems like. A person who knows that he or she should do something but neglects to do it has not just missed, has not just missed an opportunity for obedience. He or she has sinned. You and I can find no comfort in the fact that we haven't sin because we did something we can't find comfort in well i didn't do this or i didn't do that and we often do that's where we live i didn't do this and i didn't do that and i feel comfortable with but god says no no look at the sins that i've look at what i've asked you to do and see if you're comfortable with that you see we like to live with the sins of 
or we like to identify the sins of commission. We like to ignore the sins of omission because we don't live there. Sometimes we look at sins of omission, of not planning in the correct way. We look at them as kind of being smaller sins, not that big a deal. But I want you to see what Jesus says about this in Luke 12. And that servant, he's telling a parable, that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not uh, and did what was deserving, excuse me, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. For the one who knew what to do, who knew what the master wanted, Jesus Christ is saying there's going to be a more severe discipline, there's going to be a more severe beating because they knew. But we also have to understand something. Just because we claim ignorance doesn't get us out of a beating. It doesn't. His ignorance, he still got disciplined for his ignorance. But we need to understand sins of omission, sins of presumptuous planning, it's serious to God. It's not something that's little because it's a sin of omission. So that's on the surface of this, but James's concluding proverb also sums up everything else that he's taught us so far. As James' style is, has been, he cuts to the heart of the matter. A Christ follower will find themselves practically living out their faith no matter the circumstances of life. Here's what one commentator said. Christ followers, and he's talking about previous and James. Christ followers must stand confidently on God's word, even in trials and temptations. They must compassionately serve their brethren without uh, prejudice. They must speak carefully with a controlled tongue and wise cultivated thought. They must be what God wants them to be, do what God wants them to do, speak as, what, as God wants them to speak. And that commentator hit the nail on the head. And when we read verse 17, so all who, whoever knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it, it is a sin. All those things that we've studied in James, all those things that we say are characteristics of Christ followers, if we know it, and everybody here who has been in any of these sermons, you know it. If you choose not to do it, it is a sin. Understand that. We are now without excuse because we've studied the book of James. How many people are going to say Amen. That was really weak. <laughs> because sometimes living in ignorance, living in, not in light of what James has been teaching us, it's easier, isn't it? Because we don't have to think about it. It's not work. That commentator hit the nail on the head. Any professing Christ follower who doesn't find themselves growing in these things in their day-to-day -day living, it would be wise to look in the mirror and ask, is my faith genuine? Because Christ followers cannot help but grow in all these things that James has been talking about. Some will grow fast, some will grow slow. But there will always, always, always be growth in obedience to God if you're a Christ follower. Always. Can't be helped. Because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. So let's look in the mirror. How many presumptuous plans are part of your life? Plans that we just do day in and day out. 
plans that we make because it's become a habit and God never enters our minds or our thoughts. His will never is considered. We just do it because we think from our own logic and our own perception of reality that this is the right thing to do. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the bad thing to do, but until we humble our hearts before God and say, I need this to be your plan. We need to be really cautious about presumptuous sins. And that's what James is talking about here. He's warning his people, his dispersed flock, you are now doing something different. You are now merchants. You are now businessmen and women. You are now, it seems like you have more control over what you are doing because you don't have to depend on me for rain or for sunshine. You are walking in a wrong, you're you're forgetting who's controlling even what you're doing now. Please bow your heads for just, Father God, we all bow before you and we all struggle with this in one sense or another. This is hard. We grow up in a culture that says, do your own thing and do it my way and you can accomplish whatever you choose to accomplish. And Father, all those things speak directly against what your word teaches. It is you who control our lives. It is you who control every aspect of our lives. And Father, I pray that we would sincerely, with a, with a heartfelt cry, want to know your will, to know your way, And Lord God, help us to know that the only place to find that is your word. Father, help us to know your word. Help us to fall in love with your word because it gives us the answers to your will and helps us plan with you in mind. Father, thank you for what James has written so many hundreds and hundreds of years ago that is still so applicable to our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.